Black is beautiful. Black is love. It can be seen 365 days a year, 24-7, and Target is here for all of it. Black Beyond Measure is Target's year-round campaign that celebrates and elevates the spectrum of Black love and success. From the multitude of commitments and investments in the Black community to supporting HBCU students and uplifting Black entrepreneurs. Shop Black-owned or founded brands at Target from home decor and candles to beauty, wellness products, and so much more. Surround yourself, enjoy, and amplify your Black love with the help of the Black-owned and founded brands at Target every day. Visit Target.com slash Black Beyond Measure to learn more. Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. We have a very differing opinion on how we met, okay? Because I met Melissa, in my mind, different than she met me in her mind. We were in high school in Washington, in Lakewood, Washington. Both uh-huh. of our parents are military. So we're going to the military high school, not the military high school, but the high school military children went to. Feeds into. Uh, so first day of junior year, U.S. history, Miss Chapman's class. This is where we differ. This is where we differ. Because see, I, I saw her like, oh man, like that. <laughs> she wasn't paying me no mind, which is understandable. I can work for it. So I was just looking at her, kind of not, not gawking, but I was just like, man, that girl is beautiful. You know, first day of school, and I never forget, dude came in, had the same idea as I did. He passed her a note, he wrote her a note, and I'm just kind of like staring. He taps me like, yo, can you hand this to, to that girl? And I'm like, I, 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 I'm still looking at her. <laughs> How you already wrote a note? I just, I just saw her with my eyes. So I passed it to her. I was mad. This is how long we've been together. People still wrote notes they did. on paper and folded it. Like this was before cell phones, text messages. So I hand it to her and then I'm watching her reaction. I'm like, All right, let me see what she is. She opens it, smiles, reads it, closes it, never even looks back at him. And I was like, oh, we in there. Like, <laughs> he shot his shot. She didn't even curve him. She did not acknowledge his existence. So at that moment, I was like, okay, she's going to be a challenge. Cause she ain't worried about about bro, but there's there's room. So that's how we met in, in our mind. And what's your story? All you ever do is shoot mine down. How would you say that we met? Very similar, except Kev will have you believe that it was on like the first day of school. It wasn't the first day of school. That is not true. It was we didn't August have August third, nineteen ninety nine. See how he just beat. Cash Money Records was taken over for the nine nine and two thousand. These aren't facts. First day of school. These aren't facts. I was like, I love her so much. <laughs> I want to be with her in my life. <laughs> So, so when- 11th grade, it was definitely in 11th grade. Um, so that would be probably around 99, year 1999. We did have class together, but I also don't think it was the first semester. Why would I be that because you just and be wrong? he just because that's what you do. You just make up stories and then string it all together. I remember it like it was yesterday. It wasn't though. It was the first day of our first year of junior high school. Lakes High School, Lakewood, Washington. We were in high school junior year. Yes. <laughs> that was what? How many years ago is that? A lot of 20 years ago. this year. Oh, wow. You're right. That will be 20 years this yeah, year. Right. Dang, we out here old. <laughs> Would you like your version or the truth? So my, at the time, my cousin was staying with my family and Kevin and my cousin, his name's Tony, were really good friends, mm-hmm. like really, really good friends. And um, by this time, it was like the spring, summertime, so like May of, of 1999, mm-hmm. uh, actually 2000, no, 2000, because yes. we were in t- almost done with our junior year of high school. And um, Kev was trying to like basically shoot a shot. But Kevin was very much like, he thought he was a player was in a high player. school. He was a player. He, he gave thought- that life up. For the right he one. thought he was a player in high school. But I had him. And so I was like, well, I'm not really here for this. Like, why would I get into a relationship with this guy that like wants to date everybody? Like, no. And everybody wants to date him. Okay. And so my cousin was like, you need to get with my friend. Like, he's great. You need to get with him. And so on May 15th, mm-hmm. 2000. No, that's not true. I'm going to tell you what the truth is. Oh. Earlier, I thought we were You don't dating. even know the date. Yes, May 1st, 2000, <laughs> my birthday. 
I was like, I, I don't want you to be my girl. And she was like, okay, like that, right? So in my mind, we're dating. So later on that week, I go to touch my girl's knee and I do this thing where I would tickle her. And she was like, what are you doing? I took my <laughs> hand off. So I was like, oh man, maybe we're not dating the way I think we're Because we weren't dating. dating. So I asked Tony, like, Tony, can you check with your cousin and see where we're at? And he asked her, he was like, nah, Kev, y'all ain't, I don't, you gotta, mm -mm. it ain't official like that. It wasn't. So, um, Finally, I was walking with her and Tony home one day. This is on May 15th. May 15th, 2000. And we haven't broken up since this day. And Tony's pushing hard for me. Because I not only was I pushing, I had girls in her class All my classes. Her, he had like representatives I was, in each of my classes. Yes. I vouching had the whole for him. high school like, marry him, be with him. Not marry him, but be with him, be with him. So Tony's pushing for me this day. And so she's just like, fine, Tony, I will date him. There, you see, we are now dating. Now we're holding hands. And I was just like- That's actually true. <laughs> I was like, boy, this is a rough start, but I'll take it. I can work with this. And that was the first official day, May 15, 2000. That's and, true. And we've been dating ever I since. was just going through my planner the other day and I have one year anniversary on that day. Really? And from my high school planner. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's crazy. 20 years. No. We have not broken up since, although in college she tried to break up with me. I did. I, uh, a couple times she tried to break up with me. Once I went away for the summer in, in El Paso and I didn't call her enough. Or what, no, actually we talked a lot. We wrote each other letters and I came back. And the thing about Melissa that you got to understand is she wasn't a, a traditional girlfriend. Like, I was a church girl. Yes. I was a good girl. And I didn't want to like... I don't know, I was just always very guarded, which I don't even really know why, but I was like very guarded. And so I'm like, this dude is, he thought he was a player, he was dating all these girls, he's pushing way too hard. So I'm like, gonna this keep you This is why we're dating. She's still keeping that energy. Uh, but yeah, I was. Keep, I'm gonna keep you at a distance a little bit. So I'm, okay, this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna soften up. So um, she wanted me to walk her home. And I, when I came back, I didn't walk her home. Like maybe the first two days or for whatever reason, I said, bye. And you gotta understand, we lived one block from each Literally. other. Literally. So the bus stop stopped, we split and like, so it really wasn't even a walk home. It was like, okay, my house is over here. Yours is there, I'll see you tomorrow. So she wanted me to walk with her, but she never said it. So after like maybe three days of me saying, bye, see you tomorrow. She's like, we ain't even gonna be together. You don't even wanna walk me home. And I was like, the dramatics. She cares. <laughs> she cares. So I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. You never really say nothing. And I'm telling her, like, I'm used to girls being like all over me and saying what they want. And you was just like, what's I'm up? Still not the one. Well, <laughs> I love you. You know what I mean? Like, she was just really not into me like I had, you know, like girls had been into me. So I was, I didn't know how to read her. So that was the first time she tried to break up with me. I was like, don't break up with me, don't break up with me. I'll walk you home. I didn't know, I'm sorry. The second time was in college. I used to hang with my boy Ant, who we ended up making videos and stuff later together. And we were spending so much time together. I mean, just chilling, playing the game and all that. And I remember coming to her dorm room one time and she didn't know I was there. And she had her door open and she was venting to her roommate. And she's like- I was going off. I mean, straight I was ham, going Cause I, she didn't know I was there. So the door, and I, well, I don't know why you were arguing, not arguing, but venting with the door open. We're in college. No, you don't need a reason like, to do any of this. He come stomping with his friends and he don't never want to come spend time with me. And y'all just want to play the game and eat pizza and fart all the time. Then you don't never call me. So I was like, oh snap, she's going off. So then I talked to her. She's like, I think we just need some time apart. And I was just like, nah, <laughs> nah, I don't, I don't think that. He never let me make it. I was just like, oh, we'll stay together. I'm gonna give you some time today. I'm gonna go, okay? But I'm gonna be better. So I spent less time with Ant, and that was the second time she tried to break up with me. And ever since then, that's probably 2003, maybe our uh, our 2000, we graduated in 2003. One, so two, probably year of college. Yeah, so probably 2003. Two, 2003, and that was the second time she tried to break up with me. And ever since then, I've been nah, good. I never did it again. So I've been, I've been, I've been, last 15, 16 years, I've been good. No nope. first five years, boy, it was tough. <laughs> no big breakup threats. Then. No breakup, none. We hear that people say one person knows before the other. So we both grew up very military. So I was in college, I was in ROTC. And I was like, because that's all we knew. My dad was in the army, her My dad was in the military. army. Everybody around us in church was in the army. Like literally every working couple was military. Mm -hmm. So nobody really knew anything else. So um, you just kind of follow in your parents' footsteps or whatever. So when I was in college, I was in ROTC program and I was awful for the military. I mean, I wouldn't wear the, I wouldn't he wear the He didn't want to wear the uniforms. He didn't want to go to PT. I didn't want to learn the, the planes. Like we used to get, uh, 
we used to get interrogated, not interrogated, but um, we'd have, where they would test us. Like, what plane is this? And I knew two planes. I knew an F-16 and a C-118. So if it was a fighter plane, I would just say F-16. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. And they just hated me. So they kicked me out of ROTC. And I remember being like, maybe my second year in college being like, man, I, don't, I can't go to the military now. I'm not gonna go. And I remember not knowing what I wanted to do with my life at all, but I knew that whatever my choice was, I wanted to be with her. Mm -hmm. Like I knew whether I was in the military or if I was working at McDonald's, whatever the case is, I wanted to be with her. And that's when I knew I wanted to marry her. And that was probably nine months, maybe even a year before I proposed. Um, but I knew like, look, I don't know what is gonna happen in these two years, but if, if I'm with her, it'll be, it'll be cool. Even if we're broke, you know, I'll be happy. I just felt like I was planning my life in my mind and in my mind, I couldn't imagine not being with her, whatever that was, you know? So um, it was just like, man, she was like my best friend and not in the like the cliche way. Like that's my best friend. Like before we dated, we were, we're really friends. good friends. Like we were like funny. And I think because the way she like treated me and like she didn't like gawk over me. So that was like humbling in a way that I needed to be humble, but she was just fun. She was funny. She was really smart, intelligent. And um, and I just love being around her. So I feel like I just I, I think the easiest way to explain it is I just couldn't imagine not being with her. Mm -hmm. I couldn't like daydream or dream or plan. And I couldn't think of a plan that didn't include her in some way. Because I was like, man, if I go to the Air Force, like she'll be cool because she's a military kid. So she'll be happy with that. If I, you know, if I become an actor, she'll be because she was helping us with plays, too. She was our stage manager and she was just really good at stuff. So I just couldn't imagine not being with her. And that's the moment I knew I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to have to ask her. To marry me because I I need to push all my chips in and lock her down before anybody else realizes her value and, and tries. And here's the other thing that we don't talk about a lot. <laughs> I almost had to drop out of college because I couldn't I afford it. Did. And she took out a loan for I me did. that was like $900. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot of money now, <laughs> but at that time I was like, oh, she loved me so much. I mean, I think it was more than that. Was it? Yes, I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, uh, she took a loan out on her name so I could stay in college. I sure and my did. parents were like, "Hey, man, ain't nobody tell you to go to no four-year college." I didn't tell you. It's that. so true. I said true. you could go to community college. I said you could live with me. I ain't got it. My dad, like, I always told you that. So she like bailed me out to make sure I could continue to go to college. And I was just like, she, she got me. Like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, she, she changed my life with that. So. So like, I, I guess that's the easiest way is I could, there was no future without her that I first, first saw being good. And, and I used to get a lot of crap from my, my male friends. Like you're going away to college with a girlfriend. Like you could be having sex and parties. And I was just like, I ain't on none of that. Like when you have somebody you love and truly value, like all that other stuff was like, it's a waste of time. I don't need none of that. I don't need to prove nothing to nobody. Like I have everything I want. So, so that's why it was easier to, to propose. I know he's so romantic. I'm killing this interview, by the way. Oh. I like, like my stock in the black love is oh going higher. Like, people would be like, I love him. I want to give him money. <laughs> I'm not nearly as romantic as Kev. Number one, I'm not. Um, I'm not even really as decisive as Kev is either, and that's part of it. It's just part of partly mm. personalities. Like, this is who I want to be with. Done. You know. Um, and I think for me, I was very much a, I'm a checklist girl. Mm. Um, and so it was, I remember my mom always teaching us to, you know, look for someone who respects their mom. Because how they act towards their mom is how they're going to treat you. Mm -hmm. Look for someone, I'm a daddy's girl. So I want someone who reminds me of my dad, not in like the, like a weird way, but just like in a way that's like your, your protector, your provider, the way you treat my mom. My dad treated my mom like royalty, like all of these things. And he, he was a Christian and we were young. We got married at 21, 20 and 21. 21. I was 20, he was 21. And we started dating at 16. 16. Mm -hmm. And I, even at 16, I took like my Christianity, like very seriously. I was <laughs> just a super like abnormal person. And he was like the only person who like could meet me there, you know, like the idea of being equally yoked. Like he was the only person that like kind of met me there. And by the time he proposed, we had been together for three years, four mm. years, three or four years. And I was a virgin. That was something that was very important to me. And he respected that. So it was like, yes, 
you have proven yourself. <laughs> and to be it's honest, been four I tried years. To marry her earlier, and he did, I and he like, wanted to get married the whole year prior. Our, when I proposed, year. I was like two months, because I was like the financial. He aid was only worried about the financial aid, and she was like, "No, I want to plan." Because I'm like, I'm like. You get married and babies happen, and yeah. we're not done with college, and I want to finish college. So the compromise, he wanted to get married our sophomore year in college. We ended up getting married our junior year of college. So we got married June 26, 2004. Mm -hmm. That was young. That, that was, was a long time ago. Stupid young. We were like, we people were, in college were like, fam, why, why are y'all married? Yeah. I don't even have nothing to eat and y'all are fully, fully married. It's a legal document. And I was like, no, yeah, I like it. We were. We were fully in love and happy. but And I don't think I ever really thought of it as like an age thing. Like when you know, you know. You yeah. know what I mean? It didn't really change our life monetarily or anything like that. It was just like, man, this is this is what I wanted, wanted to do. So I, the first year of marriage, we were still in college. And so I almost think that it was still fairy tale almost mm. because we weren't working. We didn't have full-time jobs. Um, we were still in school and we only had two or three hours of class, so to speak. So we would commute, have early classes, go to class, commute back and be home by 12, one o'clock. We didn't have a job, do some homework and, and sleep. chill. We just took like, naps. Watch TV. Yeah. So almost <laughs> I feel like we didn't really have like the true marriage experience until probably year two or three um, when we were out of college. You know, we had to get real jobs. And like that's when like the real thing set in. And I would say at that time, it was still pretty good. I actually don't think that you were still in like that. We dated for so long. Um, and so I think that we were... I think it measured up to what we anticipated. It really wasn't until I had my son, and by this time we were married for two years? I think three. Two or three years? We were, no, Isaiah was born in 23, when I was 23, so two yeah. years. My son was born, we got married in 2004, June 2004, and Isaiah was born in August of 2008, 2006. Six. I don't know, they're, 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 the days two, run together. That's two, two years, that's two years. Yeah. And my parents got divorced. Yeah. And that was the biggest shift. Yes. Um, because it was a shift for me. And obviously that's going to impact us. And, and I would say that was the biggest point for us that it was like, hold on, you know, kind of pop your fairy tale, wake up. This is the real world. Things happen in the real world. And uh, yeah, that was like the biggest, for me, I would say that was the biggest wake up call transition, all of that. I 100% agree. <laughs> and I think in other ways it was like, life was so swift and like relentless. You know, that first two years, it was just like college. Like we're out enjoying ourselves. We got our own place. People come, we go to parties, like not parties, but we go to Applebee's, whatever. And then it was like, you have a child, your mom gets divorced. Now the way she viewed the world was different. Everything changed. Because now like her mom and dad, her mom was like missionary in the church, evangelist, very spiritual, safe. Dad's deacon in the church, driving the van. And when they got divorced, it was- It wasn't... rocked my foundation. So my grandparents weren't married, but my parents have been married my whole life. So I'm thinking this is possible, you know, despite anything that happens, the odds that are against you. My parents went through some hard times, but they got through it, you know? Um, and then we joined the church and my dad got saved. Like I saw, I'm old enough. I'm the oldest in my family. So I could see this 180 that happened in my parents' relationship. So I'm like, this is great. Like, of course we can do this marriage, no big deal. And then it was like, oh, but wait, Life happens and people get divorced. And it made me question, literally the question that came into my mind was, what makes me think I'm exempt? What makes me think I'm special? If it can happen to my parents, my rock, my foundation, the way in which I view and see the world is here and now that is split, what makes me think I'm exempt? And it changed Kevin is um, an entertainer. He goes out, he does comedy at the time. He was doing a lot of um, shows like in comedy clubs. And I'm not by nature a very jealous person. Child, listen. When I tell you she was... Everybody's a suspect. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what is happening? Like she was very chill about it. And I really didn't give her nothing to be jealous about. No. So two things happened. 
One was her mom got divorced, so her idea of marriage changed. She's almost expecting, mm -hmm. like, the inevitable, you will cheat on me sooner or later. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, you, you should be no different than my mom. And at the same time, I started doing stand-up and, and um, started getting some notoriety mm -hmm. and some fans and taking pictures with people. And then at the same time, I was like an idiot and um, uh, one, we were doing plays and two. So we were like, not famous, but in our little Local. city, we was we was like them and the boys who do plays. You know, Big Fish, Little Pond. Big Fish, Little Pond. <laughs> in Tacoma, it was like, if you were black and you went out, you knew who we were because we were funny. We had been performing uh, comedy forever, plays. Nobody else was doing any of that. So I'm, you know, gassing myself up, feeling myself. So I'm texting with this uh, girl from high school. It, it, nothing like crazy, nothing like about This is during the time that Blackberry Messenger was like a really big yeah. thing. Before social media. Before social media. So I would be at work just texting everybody. I mean, I BBM just all day. Everybody. No Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram, just BBM was super popping. So I would talk to almost everybody every day, but I talked to this girl every day. Nothing crazy, never went crazy. And one day, <laughs> We used to travel from Seattle to Tacoma and she rode with us. The girl rode with us with me and my brother. You know, we used to carpool and she left her. She thought she left her wallet in my car and my wife read my phone while I was in the shower and she saw, I asked the girl, what kind of wallet was it? I'll check when I go to my car. And she said, Kenneth Cole. And I was like, cool, I'll check. And then she said, thank you. So my wife in her fit of rage didn't even read the text in any order. She didn't read the like, I think I left my wallet. Can you check? I'll check. What does it look like? Black Kenneth Cole. Thank you. She just saw it back Kenneth Cole and thought I was complimenting the girl's perfume. And I was like, who does Kenneth Cole even make perfume? Like, so I come out of the bathtub, I mean the, the bathroom, and she hurled a Blackberry. And you know Blackberries were heavy. They were. They didn't break, they didn't turn off. So I'm like, whoa, boom, whoa, what you talking about? And I was like, hold up. So she's like, I don't want you to talk to her no more. And I was like, bet, I can talk to you no more, bye. <laughs> but Done. Wait, wait. I am not going to argue with a person who's throwing objects at me. <laughs> I didn't know you were that strong, first of all. Second of all, that's assault almost. It's attempted assault. So I was like, done. So that's the first time I was like, yo, she is tripping. You know, because we didn't, I didn't understand like how that affected her and her parents. So much later in our marriage, we kind of figured that out. And that's the thing that's happened a lot in our marriage. Things have happened and we don't understand them until years down the line but so hold i would on, agree that um because he's not telling the full story that happened though the, all of that did happen. Oh, uh, i'm gonna give it to you um, <laughs> but what happened the precursor to that is that the reason why we brought up the bbm is because he was texting her and one day i saw a text message and she said no good morning today mm. that's what happened first i don't remember that I plead the fifth. I can either confirm or So I was like, okay, so listen. If you're telling this girl good morning every single day to the point where if you don't say it on a specific day that she notices and feels the need to like, hey, you didn't say good morning, that's a problem. You're talking to her way too much, so you should stop. That was the first thing. And so then after that came the Blackberry or the, the Kenneth Ken Cole incident. Kenneth Colgate. Um, and by that time, and again, it's like so many like, things at once. It's still just having a baby. Your hormones are out of whack. Mm. It is um, my parents getting divorced, another layer. It is my husband now starting to go out and do comedy, another layer. It is now you're texting this girl and whomever. And I'm not a real, even to this day, I'm not like super techie. I'm not like checking his phone all the time. But I see that that's a layer. And then it's like, we have this conversation, I think all is well. And then it's this Kenneth Colgate and that's another layer. And so by this time I'm like, so listen, none of this is gonna work for me. <laughs> and so that's what happened. And honestly, that was still to this day. I mean, that has made a huge imprint on my life. Like who I am today was directly impacted by that incident, my parents divorced, like all of those things have, it's altered everything about me, to be honest. And the everything thing about is, me is, I text everybody on my BBM good morning. And she, it didn't matter because one person said no good morning today. Like I literally would talk to, there was like 15 people I would talk to every single day. So 
but when you're mad, like I'm not saying she was even wrong because I was talking to this woman too much to not be my wife. You know what I mean? Like uh, without social media, but it was just interesting that I, I wasn't nearly as nefarious as it came out to be, but it, it was like the perfect storm of so many things happening in life that this was the final, final straw. So I would say the immediately upon my parents' divorce, I changed. Um, and part of it is because, I don't know how much detail you want, but it's a long story. But essentially, my parents didn't tell us immediately that they got divorced. And so when they did, it was, it was a lot. So they were separated and me, my sisters and I, I have two younger sisters, are all thinking, they're working through this. It'll be fine. They'll get through this. Because by this time, my parents have been married for 25 years, you know? And I, again, I, I've seen their relationship go from they were newly young married to where they ended up. And so I'm like, it'll be fine. They'll get through this. They're kind of going through a hard patch, but it'll be fine. And come to find out months later is when they told us that they had divorced. And my world, it was, I would say it was instant. My world came crashing down. But again, it was layered by, I had just had my son probably within three months of finding out. I was still on maternity leave, let's say that, um, when I found out. So it was, e it was pretty immediate. I probably didn't vocalize it until he started going out to do comedy. And that's when it, because he had always done, um, he started a group, so it was Kevin, his brother Jason, and our pastor's son, Anthony, had all had a group, and they called themselves Chain Generation. And they were doing plays and just all different things, stand-up, they were doing videos, all of these different things. And so, and Kev's always been very social. Like, I met him in high school. He's voted most popular. Like, he's always been very social. Prom king, I mean. Um, so I know, I know who I married. Like, I know that about him, and it's never been a bother to me. But listen, after that, it was, it literally, I would say it was almost immediate. I'm like, I remember he was going to this comedy club, really popular comedy club in Tacoma. And these group of women, I couldn't go. I was at home. We had boys. I have to stay at home and be mom. So that's another thing. Imagination starts creating narratives and creating stories. That's never a good thing either. And these girls had started this hashtag Kev's number one fan. Oh my God. The worst thing you could do is have fans. <laughs> Ciao. And they were vying for who was the bigger fan. They would all come weekly, sit closer, and she was like, don't nobody not, like him. He not ain't even funny. Not <laughs> never. Okay. Okay. This is on Twitter. This they used was, to talk about this it. was um Actually, I don't think I had Twitter at that point. I think I saw it on Facebook, actually. Oh, because... The pictures used to yes. be posted at the time. So what would happen is after the comedy show, they would post pictures. The comedy show would have, like, pictures of the event and all of these things, and the girls would be taking pictures with Kev, and they would hashtag that. And I was just not in a space to prepare. Like, I'm so much better now, but even now, I still... There's certain things that kind of just rub me the wrong way. And I know it's because of that, because again, I know who I married and it's never those type of issues or interactions. I would say interactions were never an issue before. But so Melissa had a combination of uh, the, the baby being born and her parents getting divorced led to some serious postpartum depression and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. So we had a point where our, our Otis was very young, like not even two months, I don't think. And we were in the room in our little one bedroom apartment and I was playing a video game. I wish I didn't have to say that story, <laughs> but I was on the Madden, okay? Playing a video game and I turn around and she's having a panic attack to the point where it looks like she's having a seizure. Like she's literally shaking uncontrollably and I'm freaking out. We call a friend of ours who's an EMT. He comes over, we realize it's stress. Like luckily he lived right down the street. She goes to therapy and all that stuff and it's stress. And she had, a, had had another panic attack a couple weeks prior, but not as, as bad. And this one was like, okay, this, you know, you're having a seizure. I thought you were having a seizure. So when she came to and we talked about it, I said, look, your family now is me, you, and our, Isaiah. Like you cannot put your whole identity into your parents' marriage because you can't control that. And they're divorced. Like as sad as it is, they're divorced. And you living, you know, that's not us. 
And if you keep thinking like that, you're going to hurt our family now because you can't control them. And it really stuck to her. Like she really realized, you know what? You and Zay are my family. And I understand it because you grow up, your mom and dad is your family your whole life. And now all of a sudden you got to like disassociate from people who've been your whole family because your I feel like your identity was wrapped up in mm -hmm. the child of married people who were saved and all that stuff. And you had to start forming your own identity because of this action. But that moment, um, that panic attack led to her going to therapy. And our pastor at the time spoke a message that really connected with her. Tabitha come forth and he was like almost speaking to Melissa, like you come forth, come out of this. You are not your parents. You're not their marriage. You're not their divorce. You are you and you're going to you're going to be fine. And from that moment on, the healing process began for her and the the Melissa, the married wife and mother's identity began to form. And that was really helpful and impactful in, in moving forward out of that, you know, divorce. In our Love Hour podcast that we do <laughs> weekly, we've actually had this that exact topic. And I think at the time, it's a couple years ago, we did this episode and I think we said divorce is an option. And the fact that it is an option is what helps you stay married. The fact that it's an option makes the choice more powerful. And so yeah. I do believe that in real world, divorce is an option. Like it is an option. You have a choice to exercise it or not. I'm not a slave to this marriage. And I believe knowing that it's an option and deciding to stay is where that love is. That's where the power is. That's where the connection is. That's where the bond is, is that I can do whatever I want, but I'm choosing to stay here and honor you and those vows that I made. So I absolutely believe divorce is always an option, but I'm choosing to stay. And we grew up in the church and there was divorce is not an option because yeah. God believe in me, the and sanctity of marriage. People get divorced church all the time. time. And honestly- you just can't say that and it's like, now that's true. No. no. People get divorced all the pastors get divorced all the time. All so the time. obviously it's not a it's not illegal. It's not even really frowned upon anymore. Like it's it's, it's very common, common, very commonplace. So nah. but the other thing is that that change didn't happen until my parents got divorced. Had you asked me this question while my parents were married, if they weren't married, if they were still married today, my answer would be absolutely divorce isn't an option. But because they got divorced, I had to reevaluate so much. And that was one of the things that all my life, I grew up believing divorce is not an option. And now my parents are divorced. Well, make that make sense mm. because it is an option. They've just decided they no longer want to be together. And that's why they're divorced. And today I can get, he can decide I don't want to be with you no more. I can mm. decide I don't want to be with you anymore. But every day that I wake up and I choose you, that's power. I'm not a slave. I don't, I'm not here without option. I'm choosing to be here. And I think that there's good intention behind divorce isn't an option, but I think there really is something powerful. And I keep saying powerful because I really want to like hone in on that point that because I'm not a slave, because I do have choice, because I do have free will, that is where the love that I have for him, that's what's keeping me here. I got kind of worked up on that, but I like, I, I feel that like something yeah. powerful right now. Right. I think it's important because the thing about Melissa's parents getting divorced, it wasn't like people got divorced after two or three years. And it's like, oh, it was more like they didn't make it. Mm -hmm. But 20 plus years yeah. and her parents had had like early in their marriage, they like, you know, like throwing plates. Like they had like a tumultuous time and they always made it. So she was very proud of that. And it was kind of wired into her fiber and so 20 years, that is something I hadn't even seen. Like a lot of people got married or divorced in five years. Like no big deal. They shouldn't have got married. They got married because they had a kid, whatever. That makes sense. 20 plus years it's and now time. you cheat. Like, and, and the cheating, the thing is in, in our, in her parents' marriage, why that was more impactful is because we grew up in the church. Right. And her mom was a powerful, like minister, amazing speaker mm -hmm. and saved. Yes, she was. I'm talking scriptures anointing oil over the doors, grease, like, and then when that happened, it was like, oh, anybody can do anything. I can't expect Kev to be a man yeah. if my mom, yeah. like you got on, her mom was like, so safe, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, I mean, she's, oh, you know, we talk about this all the time and it's just like, I don't think Melissa even, I think the dangerous part, I don't think Melissa realized how much her identity and oh, her absolutely. thought of marriage and wife was wrapped up in what her, because her parents had a great marriage. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think when that happened, it was just like, nothing is real. This, in, this, this is only a matter of time before you cheat on me. The infidelity in my parents' marriage, I believe was the result of my mom not sharing her unhappiness 
earlier. And so, oh, do I get emotional? You do. That means it's okay. Feel it. Feel that. So, oh, I don't want to cry. So, hold on. Taking a moment. More recently with Evan and I, I have been determined to speak how I feel and not allowing things to compile and blow up later. And I honestly believe that that's how 20 and 30 year marriages, you're like, y'all been married for, y'all been married longer than y'all been alive. Like, you know what I mean? Not alive, but like single, like when you think about it um, and now you want to separate, like your whole worlds are wrapped up in each other and you want to, like, this doesn't make sense. And I think it's just years of unspoken hurt, unspoken unhappiness. And so I, and I have thought about, cause my mom, she has like in our post conversation since their divorce, we've talked about um, like, what happened? You know, why? Like make me, help me understand. And she would say little things in, that my dad didn't do. And it was never anything that's like, he hit me, you know, it wasn't stuff like that. It was always just like, um, I wanted to go out to lunch with him and he never came. Uh, I wanted to, whatever it was. And it's just these little things that matter and mean so much to a person. And after so many years, you're just like, I'm tired. I'm tired of feeling so unhappy. And that's what led to, and when, I have so many thoughts. When you're that unhappy, the door becomes a jar for someone to fill that void. The door becomes open for someone else to step in. And that's what happened. And that's what happens. And so in my own life, I've been determined specific, specifically, I'm going to talk right, um, the last like two years and even more so like this year, like the last year, year or so saying, hey, this bothers me. Hey, I need you to do this hey, this is actually what I like. And when you do that, that's the opposite of what I like. Um, making sure I speak those things because you don't, we've been married since we were 21. We're, we're 35. We're 35 years old. That's a long time. We've now been married longer than we've been apart. Um, and if you include dating, that's a, we've been together a long time. And it's good, but also what happens when you've been together with, with someone for a long time, you build, you can build years of resentment. So I want to make sure that I, we're building a solid, healthy foundation and not building a pathway to look back on and say, these are the reasons why I'm unhappy. And I can start from year one and move forward. And I think one thing for me to be completely blunt, I'm a great husband <laughs> and great father. And what made me blind to this is that Melissa would not vocalize stuff. So if you're not being told, hey, I don't like when you do, do this or I miss you or whatever, like now I'm just feeling like, because the other part is I never cheat, never even go that route. So I'm comparing myself to all these other people in our marriage and our circle in society cheating on their wives. And I'm just like, huh, your boy's still out here, you know, not cheating. And for a long time, I was like, I'm there, I provide, I'm an attentive father. So I felt like I was better than my cohorts and this competitive part of me was comparing myself to other people and if melissa's never saying you know we don't connect i feel lonely i feel this and that so now i'm like my wife's never complaining about anything i'm killing these people so i'm feeling invincible right you know and then it goes to my head so now this year she starts voicing stuff and i was like hold on hey am i trash because <laughs> there's so many things that i'm doing wrong and it's because she was protecting my ego by not telling me what I was doing wrong, she just just take it. Mm, never call me, boom, just to the face. So I'm I'm just and the thing I told her like you you're hurting us in this way because now I'm doing this stuff to you over and over mm -hmm. and I have no idea I'm even doing something that bothers you. Right. So you're you know and it starts to feel like she admitted to this like it starts to feel like I'm doing it on purpose, but I never even know that it's it's wrong. So you you know my wife's been saying this a lot lately. You teach somebody how to love you and how you want to be treated in what, by what you allow. So now she's been heavy on like, here's what you do wrong. And I'm just like, I, I'm not a good husband. <laughs> I'm a good father, but on the husband thing, I have so much to work on. And you know, in our podcast, we try to be really transparent. And sometimes that means talking about something that we dealt with that day. So I remember like 
we were doing this thing where she wanted me to be more vulnerable and be more honest and stuff. And I told her, I said, look, the honest, honest, if we want to be honest, <laughs> I feel like if I weren't with you, someone else would think I'm perfect because I don't cheat. I give you all my money. I trust you. <laughs> I'm a great father. And you, you be tripping. And it's hard for me to feel like this because I feel like somebody else would never, you know, because these people are getting cheated on and this and that. And she was like, you're assuming that those women are happy. And they're probably just as unhappy as I can be crying at night and this and that. And you're assuming that people just because they do it, that they want it or accept it or expect it. And you're wrong. There's other people who are unhappy. And, and just because it's different between us and them doesn't mean I'm any less unhappy. And that was like, she went through my body into my soul, socked me in the soul <laughs> and then walked back. And I had to like recalibrate and understand that since I never cheated on her and did any of that stuff, it's unfair to, to get credit for that because that's never been something I have to do. Like, but this stuff will, will the, the cheating um, or her potential unhappiness is just as valid as if I go to cheat on her. Like that unhappiness doesn't feel different because that's not what I do. So now I have what I, what it feels like sometimes years of bad habits to undo part, partly because she never said it and partly because I never asked, you know what I mean? So I feel like now my, <laughs> I'm like, I got a lot of work to do as a husband, you know, which is good because I think to be married this long, you are going to go through changes. And I think that's what people misunderstand the most. Like having kids, a big change, her parents getting divorced, big change, moving from Washington and the safety of two nine to fives at Boeing, like, we were our young, we were making over a hundred thousand dollars together, kids in private school, like owning our first home. We thought we made it. We were like, <laughs> what's up? Quitting those jobs, moving to LA. And then now more recently, her job, <laughs> I quit my job, her job closed. We're right back to this. <laughs> and then on top of that, she's finally starting to open up about her true feeling. It's like a lot. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, we got so much things to work on. But I feel better about that knowing we are working towards it as opposed to her. Because the thing is about resentment, eventually you push those feelings down and down and down and then you don't feel that anymore. And now you're just apathetic to it. This is how Kevin treat me, whatever. And then I can see how after 25 years, you could be like, you know what, man, I don't even want to do this no more. I don't even know who you are. I don't know. The boys are up and older. You know, you know, I'm, I'm their mom. You're their dad. We'll always love them. But I could see how people just be like, I'm, I'm good. You know what I mean? And the thing that I always said that why well, I felt so dumb when she would voice her opinion. And I feel like in our marriage, it's never been like the stuff I complain about is never equal to her stuff. You know, I'm just like, you know, um, you know, I like when you do this or that. And she'd be like, I feel lonely. I'm like, whoa, how you feel lonely? I'd be right here, you know? And I'm just like, I, I felt like our stuff is never equal. And it's just like so scary to get divorced because I do not want to be out in the world not married. Like I can't imagine having to Tinder or people trying to date me now that I'm more popular on social media and I'm comedians and fans. I, I like the trust of someone who I know if I lost every fan on Facebook, never performed on stand up and just worked at Target, Melissa wouldn't even be tripping. Mm -hmm. She'd be like, I would love you the same, but I don't feel like I'd have that. So it definitely can be really scary to be like, we still got a lot of years left of life. How do we make sure we keep our marriage going strong through all these transitions? So one thing that we're working on in our marriage is my vulnerability with my wife. It's something that as the next tour uh, ramps up, she's like, look, you're going to be gone three days out of the week, traveling four days out of the week. It's important that the time that we're together is impactful. It's powerful because she's staying. We got two young kids and we took them on tour last year. Melissa was, and I did tour their tour heavily and the boys stayed with the nanny and the boys after the tour were like, look, we need mommy to stay. You can do what you got to do. <laughs> we understand. So my wife was like, okay, um, I won't tour with you until the summer and the boys will go to her mom's house. At first it wasn't as clear as I, I need you to be more vulnerable. It was her saying, I don't feel like we're very close. And connected. we're having conversations. I don't feel very connected. Something's missing. And I'm not understanding because I'm like, I'm at home. We're talking <laughs> and all that stuff. But I don't feel connected to you. So later on, she found the words about vulnerability. And she was like, I need you to be more vulnerable with me. And I had a hard time, have a hard time sharing my fears. Because I was telling Melissa, 
you know, I think you were upset. I said, I think you assume that I don't want to share my feelings with you on purpose. And the truth is, as a man, I don't even feel my feelings. <laughs> I just compress them when I get scared or or feel you know weak or, or afraid. I don't even allow myself to sit in that moment. I'm just like, nah, we good, mm -hmm. we good. And but the truth is, that doesn't make you not afraid. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything. You just it left. It's left um, undealt with. So what I'm working on now, it's funny, like when I first started, I just talked to her more like, hey, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And she had to stop me and be like, look, it's not just talk to me about shoes and stuff. Like when you are feeling something, share with me. But I was afraid to because I don't want her to think I'm scary. I'm weak. I don't have it all together. I want her to think I got us. We go make it and whatever. And she's saying to me, it's okay to be scared. Tell me you're scared. But I feel like as a man, and especially a black man, you don't, you can't never be like, man, I'm scared. <laughs> like, bro, I hear like people with my child be like, bro, you weak, you a punk, you a mark. What you mean you scared? You know, how are you gonna be scared of something? But at the same time, she's sharing that with me. And I'm like, if I don't open up with her, I might lose her. So now I'm scared about losing her. And I'll, I'll be straight up. When she told me that, I cried. I was in the bedroom like, if I don't have you, I don't know why oh, can I don't know how to be vulnerable. I don't know, I would like to, like for real. I was like, I would love to, but I don't know how. Like the thing that I think people misunderstand, it's very hard to be honest. Mm. To have your real feelings, to say them aloud, is actually really hard. I think we tell people a version of what we feel or what we think they can take, but we very rarely share our honest sure. opinions. And we were listening to a podcast and the guy was like, you have to have some ugly, honest moments where you're not proud of what you feel and think, but the person has to be willing to hear it. So before I told her that, you know, the one thing about not cheating on her, I said, remember that podcast you sent me? <laughs> this is what he said. I'm going to be honest with you and this is gonna sound ugly, but I'm gonna share my true feelings. And I felt so good like getting it out, especially cause she like completely turned it back on me and in, in a way that I wasn't prepared for. It felt so good to be that honest because it, it's a connection that I can't have with anyone else on this earth. Not my mom, like I can never share that with my brother. You know, even though I love these people and I'm very close with them, I never share my inner fears with those people. That is really only Melissa that I can do. And I think people should understand that year 15 of our marriage, we are working on something that feels like year one. Like I have no skill in this. I have no experience. I have went 15 years without ever really sharing my true feelings with her. Like it's just exacerbated by us being on tour that we don't feel close. So she really called it out. But this is 15 years of marriage, almost 20 years together. And I'm finally being like, I'd be scared sometimes. And when you like the thing that's so silly, I had a hard time telling my wife, when you do this, it hurts my feelings. That doesn't feel manly <laughs> to say you hurt my feelings, you know? So um, I, for the first time, start saying these feelings, you know, and like, when you say this, I don't feel like this. And when you did that, it hurt my feelings. And it just feels so like lame to do. It feels so weak and so unmanly, but I know that if I don't do it, I'm going to lose that connection that she so desperately craves. And then I'll lose my marriage. And it's also not healthy either. But, you know, I didn't know how to, I'm learning how to do this part, which is share my, you know, share my heart with her. Um, this is still new. So sharing vulnerability is absolutely still something that is fresh and new and something that I'm requiring of him. Um, I can tell that he is making a more conscious effort and I appreciate the effort. Um, but the thing that's so important, I just wanted to like, key this in really quickly. The thing that is so important is that for most women, um, that sense of vulnerability, that connection is intimacy. And for women, that intimacy is what leads to physical intimacy. And so for me, it's so much more than just, I don't just want to be um, a warm body for you. Okay. Amen. Okay. I want to make sure that we are emotionally connected. And I require that so much, especially being married to someone who travels and is out. I need to know that when you come home, 
that I still feel this sense of connection because again, that's another way to cause a divide. That's That causes a divide. And you'll go through all of these years playing roles. You'll play provider, a role. You'll play father, a role. I'll play mother, a role. And then the kids leave the house, that role is taken. And I'm looking at you like, well, who are you? And we've been married for how long? And I really, we've shared no intimacy outside of physical intimacy. And as big of a deal as we put on physical intimacy, it's not enough to sustain a marriage. It's not enough to sustain a healthy marriage. So you have to have that connection. And so that's why I'm requiring it because I'm like, I don't want to go through all of these years and find out that we really don't know each other because we haven't had that intimate connection. So um, I do appreciate like literally this is something that we're working through and I know that um, it's hard for him. Like he's like kicking and screaming, going through this process. Oh, I don't want to do it. Man, get off me. Get off me, Phyllis. No, I'll never be true. Um, but <laughs> I know. Gun in the air. Yeah. a man. But I appreciate that he is. One thing that um, I've always actually appreciated about Kevin is that when I say, hey, I have an issue. This is kind of bothering me that he takes it seriously. It's never dismissed. It's never like he takes it seriously and will go about actively working on it. So I appreciate um, the steps that you're taking. I want to share an example. I have to say that with you in my eyes. Because I'll tell her like, I'm working on this. And if you don't say you're doing a good job, I start to get discouraged. So it's as 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 childish as it may seem, like I need a hey, good job, buddy. Good work. You know, because otherwise, if first of all, because it's new and uncomfortable, it's already hard. And if it's not acknowledged, it feels harder and it feels like it's not valued. Like I have to tell Melissa, I don't, you know, I need you to understand how hard this is for me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't say good job, I feel like, you know what, ah, forget it. She ain't even tripping. So I remember we got into it, we got into it earlier this week or maybe last week. Um, um, I was trying to encourage her to, to use her social media more. I'm like, you got to build your fan page up. Mm-hmm. You got to do this. And you're posting the vlog on your personal Facebook page. You got 30,000 on. I mean, I'm not yelling at her, but in my mind, that's how I'm thinking. So I'm like, why wouldn't you post this on your fan page? So she leaves in a tiff and I stay in a tiff. I'm going <laughs> to another shoot. And then she calls me. And she says, you know, when you did that, here's here's my thought process. And you didn't even value how I thought about it. You just assume because the way this is how you built your social media, I should do the same. And I have my own thoughts. So what I did, even though I was angry, I was gritting my teeth. I said that was not my intention, which it wasn't. I really was trying to understand you. So that's why I asked you, why did you post it like that? And how can I ask you things like this in a way that comes across with my intention, which is you know, in a way, which is just to truly understand. And she said, um, you can just ask without, I think any, I don't remember how, exactly how you answered it, but you told me how mm-hmm. to how to ask it. So I said, okay, thank you. I apologize for coming, you know, uh, things coming across the wrong way. And in the future, this is how I'll do it. And I think the thing that people have to understand is a lot of times in marriage, people aren't being malicious. They just right. don't know how their, their actions are coming across. And if you don't tell them, like she, uh, and years ago, she wouldn't have said anything about that. And I would have just moved on and she would have just moved on. And the other thing about the whole vulnerability thing is our marriage was great. Um, it felt great, mm-hmm. you know, because we're still having fun, going to the movies, going on vacation. It's not like she's just like, I'm sad, but it's like maybe a, a like behind the scenes, like thud feeling like behind all the happiness and stuff. I kind of feel like we're not connected. And that's almost more dangerous Absolutely. and like an overt you cheating, stop going to your phone. That's obvious. I can see you doing something wrong. You shouldn't be doing, but a feeling of just like, there's something not quite right is much more dangerous in your marriage. Cause eventually you can just give up on the whole thing because it's, it's hard to put words to your feelings and it's hard to verbalize them to your person. And if you don't verbalize, like I said, we were going great. We're going on vacation and having a great time and the boys are happy and the house is clean and you just feel like things are going well and beneath the surface there's just like a a little thing that's that's not right which is so important just really quickly is that part of the reason i believe you go through 20 plus years and then finally people divorce is because they don't always have the language to say i feel disconnected i feel um like you're not being vulnerable with me i 
just because of my personality type, I end up reading a lot of books. And so you could, I make connections and so I can articulate, this is how I'm feeling. I don't know that my parents had that language. I don't know when you get married at 21 years old, you have that mm -hmm. language. It's just now we've been married for 15 plus years and I've read tons of books. I'm a, just a lot older now and there's just easier access to a lot of resources that I'm able to articulate. This is how I'm feeling. This is what, when you say this, this is how this makes me feel. Not just out of anger, because that's a lot of times what happens too. You just come across and you start arguing and it's just anger and no one's really getting at anything. And anger is not really an emotion. It's just an outward symptom of a, a real emotion, whether that's loneliness or whatever, disconnection or whatever it is. And you don't know how to articulate. And I think that's what causes the anger. Sorry, I'm getting deep. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> um, and so I think that at just at this point in my life, I'm at a point where um, I don't want to come across as just angry. I want to be able to effectively articulate my feelings because that's the pathway to um, a healthy, sustainable relationship, which ultimately I love my husband. I don't want to be divorced. And I tell my mom, actually like a month ago, I was like, I use you and dad as a cautionary tale. And I, and I love my parents, I do, but I don't want to end up where they are. My, my, my dad is happier. My mom's not happy. If she could do it over, she would do it over. 100% I believe that, I know that actually. She would do it over. I don't want to end up like that. So I purposely like take inventory. How am I feeling? What's going on? Put those into words, tell your husband. Like that's where I am. And you know what? Like. I, I, this is so like our life today. This is not last year. This is like today. I want to help. And sometimes I help in the wrong ways. So we're overwhelmed traveling. We're shooting three podcasts. I'm, you know, I mean, all type of stuff that's happening. So I'm like, maybe we should hire someone to do the travel for us so that you can focus on whatever. Cause Melissa's kind of like going into like a, a showrunner in our like scripted stuff. She's like, better storyteller than I am. I'm just pretty much funny. Like <laughs> structure, and I don't. Someone else do that. I can make jokes, I can punch up jokes. So I'm like, okay, maybe I can hire somebody who did the travel for the tour last year. And she's like, let me, let me stop you. I did. Let me stop you and say, I've worked hard all my life. I worked a job. I need to feel valued. Absolutely. And I need to have purpose. Purpose and task. I need to own this. Even though it's overwhelming and stressful, I need to own this. So don't, you're not helping me by taking this away because then everything's taken away and I don't feel valued. And I understood that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that I didn't get frustrated and say, man, I'm, I'm trying to help. And every time I help you, always tripping. Mm -hmm. But for her to say, if I don't have something to own or a couple of things to own, I'm going to feel like I'm going to want to go back to work. And if I want to go back to work, we're not going to be able to build this the way we want to. So understand that I need to have this. I need to own our merch. I need to plan the travel for the tours. I need to plan the-, the I need to do something. I need to be busy <laughs> so that I can have value. And I need to hear that and be like, when she's just, the other thing is like, now when she's stressing me, like, and you want to be stressed and I could have did that. <laughs> I could have paid somebody to do that, but you wanted that. Cause that's my knee jerk reaction is like, well, you asked for this. It didn't have to be this way. But I realized even at her job, there's a certain amount of stress of work that you need to feel like, so you're not like, I ain't really got nothing to do today. Mm -hmm. You know, especially because she's always been like a nine to five workaholic since she was like 13. She had a paper, paper route, route. Like at third and every day for summers and she babysat. So now I don't have a job to go to. I need to have something to Absolutely. do because you, I will just keep doing stuff and I'm traveling and all that stuff. So I need to hear her not try to fix things for her. And that's what I feel like as a man I did for so many years and still is a bad habit. You're stressed, this is all I work, I got you. I know just the person who can plan and travel. Now you have more time. But eventually she'll have nothing to do and now she's gonna blame me because she spoke those words to me and I felt like I was helping. So one of the things about the five love language books that, that was really important in so many ways is you have to love someone in a way that they understand as love and they feel like this is loving to them as opposed to doing things for them that you want to do for them that's not coming across as love because my wife bless her heart <laughs> she does not buy people gifts that they want for christmas i don't i'm so i bad. could say i want these nike shoes for christmas here they are here's the car i'm gonna buy you 
a sweater because you need more. So I don't want that. I, I want these, these shoes for Christmas. And that's what we do in marriage. We do what we want you to have. That was a good analogy, I Kev. killed it. <laughs> I felt it. That was good. But we do what we want people to have and not what they want. Yes. And that's, you know, with the right intentions, it actually does harm. Because I said very clearly what I wanted, and then you gave me something I didn't want, and then you got the nerve to be mad that I don't like it. I yes. told you I did not want a sweater. Yes. I'm not going to like it. And I don't have the shoes. <laughs> you ruined Christmas. <laughs> So that's what we do in relationships all the time, and we that think we're good. helping. I know. That was good. I felt it. <laughs> I did. <laughs>